And when you see someone's goodness, someone's beauty, someone's light, someone's sparkle, and someone's talent, and then they start to see yours, there's this wonderful thing that happens. I think it's called intimacy. Is forgiveness really all that important? How do you deal with failure? What are some new tools I can use to live a life of complete freedom? These are some of the questions we'll be asking in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of See One Beautiful Soul. My name is Barbara Heller, and it is a privilege, a pleasure, and an honor to be able to share this moment with you. I think I'd love to begin by asking you to just take a deep breath. (sighs) Let's do another one and get rid of any residue from the last breath that maybe we need to let go of for the day. (sighs) I was hanging out with my niece earlier today and she had a little hangnail that became very apparent that we needed to get rid of it. And I noticed that she was crying so much at just the thought of me removing it. And I said, I think you're more scared of the pain that you're imagining than what's actually here. And she shook her head yes. And I said, could you put your mouth in the shape of when we blow bubbles? And she went, "Uh uh-uh. I said, can you just, just for me, just do one bubble, okay? And she did it. She took a deep breath. And she immediately started to smile. Whenever you're starting to feel that sort of bubbling over of frustration, negativity, anger, I just want you to remember the bubbles. So hi, thanks for joining me. I feel like we're going to be really good friends. And I feel that way with a lot of people when I first meet them. My friends and family always make fun of me because they'll say, you are like the mayor of every town. You walk up to people and just become their friends. And I don't know what that is about me. I just really love people. One of my best, best friends, I won't say her name. She's like the opposite of me. She's extremely private. But when when she first met me, this is going back like almost 10 years ago, she said, I really didn't trust you because I'm so introverted and I couldn't believe someone would be that positive and that effusive and that complimentary to someone that they just met. How do you do that? You know. And when she first started to trust me, she would repeat the story over and over again. I said, you know, it doesn't even hurt my feelings that you say that. She's like, that's how I know it's true about you, that you really genuinely care about being everyone's friend. (laughs) And whenever, you know, we've been to a lot of social events together. And so I'm sitting with her and we're sort of like replaying what happened for the night. She'll always say, and remember that guy you walked up to? And he was kind of like a stickler at first. And he was kind of like me when I first met you. You were determined to be his friend by the end of the evening. And what happened? You got his email and you sent him two books to read and that one movie that you were talking about. Like I'm always giving recommendations to people. Like I was born to be an educator because I love educating. That is just my thing. So of course I would have a podcast eventually. But I want to take you back to the very first moment in my life when I think See One Beautiful Soul started. And that was when I was two years old. I was born on Long Island, New York, and my parents took me to a restaurant called Friendly's. So any of you who are from the Northeast in the US, you know about this restaurant slash ice cream parlor. They make their own ice cream. Kind of like Denny's if you've ever been to Denny's, but a little, just a little more homey and less fast foodish. 
It's just a wonderful place. It's funny and ironic that the name of the restaurant is called Friendly's for what I'm about to tell you. So I'm two and my parents are talking up a storm and you'll learn more about my parents as the episodes go on because they were my first two teachers. So I talk about them all the time and they helped shape who I am. And their style of parenting was kind of like just keep talking at each other. And then maybe when they notice that their kid really has to go to the bathroom, then they'll look over. They were always fighting. So they were probably in the middle of an argument. And I, at one point, turned around because I I think I was feeling a little lonely. And I stood up the way a lot of two-year-olds do in a a booth. Picture it, Friendly's 1978. And I turn around. I see this, this little girl and she's the same height as me. And so I'm standing up and I'm faced towards her and she's standing up and face towards me and we're actually the same height. We are actually head to head. I say, I'm Baba Hella and I'm almost two. Even though I was two, I had been practicing that statement for so long. So I was almost due for like four years. I said my address, told her how old my parents were. I told them that we were affecting another child in the family because I think my mom was pregnant with my sister at that point. And I just was an open book, just the way that I am today. She turns around and probably was a complete introvert or was like overwhelmed because I had that impact. I was told that a lot, got a lot of feedback, still do that, you know, TMI, Barb. And she turns around and looks me right in the eye and she says, your finger in my mouth. And I'm like, oh, this must be a new game. And so I stuck my thumb in her mouth because that was my favorite finger of choice. And I sucked my thumb for like six years or something. I did what she asked me to, not thinking anything of it, just thinking like, oh, this is like a friendly game. And she bit my thumb. That was it. That was the beginning of my relating with kids my age. I mean, I probably had been to the park a couple of times with my mom and I remember there's this one home video of me saying to my mom, why isn't she talking? Because I had such a New York accent. I would say like, girl, can you come up here on the sliding pond? I'd just say girl, you know, like, hey girl, (laughs) before it was cool because I didn't know her name. And so I probably was a lot to handle because I was very thirsty for companionship and someone listening to me and talking to me the way a lot of children are, but especially me growing up in my house. And this girl bit my finger. So at that moment, I actually had a choice. Was I going to cry? Was I going to say, now I don't like children? That was sort of a theme that happened when I was a child over and over again, that I was probably a little precocious and more mature than the kids my age. I definitely had a very large vocabulary and I love to share. And I think it freaked a lot of kids out, but I never gave up on them. You know, I would mostly talk to their parents. I would go over to people's houses and talk to their parents. Sadly, (laughs) I have a lot of friends' parents that I stay in touch with to this day, probably because I was just so thirsty for parenting. God bless my parents. They did a really good job. One of the things that I sort of missed out on a lot as a kid was just being listened to. Like, sit down, tell me how your day was. Like, that just didn't really exist when I was little. So, of course, that led to me becoming an actor and a writer and a podcaster and an author and a teacher and just like wanting so much to have a platform to speak from. But I want to go back to the story at Friendly's. So I think that sort of sets up the theme for this show because 
I've never given up on people my age or older. I think people are fascinating and great. And I remember even that night, even though I was sad and I I did feel betrayed in some way. I, I remember that feeling. And I definitely felt betrayed a lot and was often looking to be betrayed by people my own age. I felt sad for her. I remember feeling sad for this little girl who that was her way of communicating. And I've always been sort of obsessed, concerned, curious about how people react when they're confronted. Like, what is it that makes us not assume the best of others? And could we save the planet? Could we save ourselves? Could we save a whole lot of heartache if in the moment when someone catches us by surprise, we flipped it from how could they do that? Or I'm so upset with this person. They didn't even say hello to me. Or the way they said hello was so X, Y, Z. If it wasn't negative, if we could put on rose-colored tortoiseshell purple glasses, would we be able to see the beauty in the person in front of us, even if they've shown us something negative? And I know I can already feel some of you driving and cringing as I say this. I want you to notice that. Where do you feel it in your body? Do you feel it in your head? Are you getting a headache? Are you feeling it in your belly? Do you feel it in your heart? Is your heart already aching from just the thought of having to see the beauty in someone else, even when they're what you think of at their ugliest or the most conniving, awful, just go there for a second. What if you could put a, there you go, put a little bit of breath between you, your ego, your feelings that got hurt, your thumb that got bit. I mean, I had blood on my finger. I remember there was a cut there for a few days. And I remember my dad used to put ointment on my thumbs. He was really good at like clearing up cuts and stuff. Thank you, dad. What if we could just put a little, there you go, a little breath there. Just take a breath and let it go. Because you were attracted to the title of this podcast, or maybe if you saw the song on YouTube, the video I made with a lot of my friends and family members, you were attracted to it somewhere deep down inside of you because there's a tiny little spot in your heart in your brain, in your psyche, in your past lives that was hurt by some soul or souls that were careless, thoughtless, didn't think about what they really wanted for their highest good in the moment, and they hurt you. And you want to repair it. And it really hurt. It's okay to say it really hurt. I want you to say it just for a second. Yeah, it really hurt. And then take another breath. And at first, I want you to take your hand and just put it on your heart and just massage it for a second. Give it a little love. Take a deep breath and tell yourself that it's okay. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to see you through this moment because I love you. And that might feel really weird to say I love you to yourself. I remember the first time I did it, I had a really hard time. I used to look at pictures of myself as a kid at two, three, four, when I was the most adorable me that I could possibly be. I mean, I was like full of personality. There's a picture of me standing on my parents' bed with my smile really big. I'll put it in the podcast notes. And huge, big, bright smile. And I'm so alive. And yet I really, when I look back, because the brain really remembers a lot of negative because we try to protect ourselves. There was a a period in my life when I'd look at these pictures of myself at two, three, four years old, or even videos of myself singing and dancing and just adding so much sparkle to the world. As a teenager, as a young 20-something, I would look at these pictures and these videos and just with disgust, like, ugh, I was so ugly. Or, you know, look at my tan in this picture. It's 
awful. Why didn't my mom put sunscreen on me? And I remember that day my parents were fighting so badly and here I am sulking in this next picture and focused on the negative. There's a part of all of us that wants to remember the negative so much so that it's actually sometimes hard to say, I love her. I love that little girl. I love that four-year-old. I love that six-year-old. I love that eight-year-old. But I want to ask you just for right now to maybe close your eyes if you can. If you're driving, don't do it. Pause and then pull over and then close your eyes. Take a deep breath and, you know, just really try to capture that little person that you were and just give that person a hug and say, I love you. And then maybe watch that person grow up, 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 like whatever pictures come up, nine, 10, 15, 20, however old you are, just try to love up that person and, and say it from your heart. I love you. You see, if we don't have the courage to say, I love you to ourselves, and sometimes it actually takes a lot of courage to do, if we don't start practicing it, really practicing it every day, taking a moment when we're stressed out, taking a moment when there's no time doing it anyway, we'll never get to love another person. I mean, fully. I really believe that that's true. When we can't take a moment, just love ourselves, put a little space in there, a little breath. How could we possibly love someone else? And the reason why I put an emphasis on loving someone else is because sometimes it's easier. I learned from my friend Cheryl, who learned from one of our mutual rabbis, Rabbi Yeshua Weisberg, that every human being deep down has so much light and so much talent and so much sparkle and a gift for something really, really special. And unfortunately, we will never be able to see it fully. In fact, God or the creator or the Schwartz or the universe, however you want to call it, puts special blinders on us and sort of like a coating over that beautiful talent, that light that only we can give so that we won't actually see it fully. And why is that? This rabbi asks. And it's because if we actually saw it, and this is so deep, you guys, if we saw how much light and how much gift and sparkle and talent we individually had, which we all do, we would spend every moment of our lives trying to protect it. I want you to really hear that. If we really knew how much potential we have right now in this moment, and we could see it fully the way that other people can actually see it, then we would spend our whole entire lives trying to protect it. So what does that mean? Well, we're already doing that so much of the time, you know, like the way that I used to. I had to do so much work, so much work on going back to these pictures, these simple little pictures of my fifth grade class picture, my fourth grade class picture, and really meditate on this little girl and say, eventually, she's so sweet. She's so cute. She just wants to be loved and give love. That's all she wants. It took me such a long time to do that. And it's because for years I was covering it inside. I was putting so much ego and so much story on top of it. I was like pouring it over like gasoline and lighting it on fire several times. Oh, that was a terrible year. Oh yeah, nothing good happened in fifth grade. Well, that's kind of a slap in the face to Julie and Trisha and Adrian and all these friends that I had. What was I thinking? Of course I had good moments. I wouldn't have gotten through it. But we try to cover it up. We try to cover up all the good things we did for those people and all the beautiful little creative writing stories we did because 
we don't want to remember it because we want to make a point about how badly we were raised or how horrible this one memory was and it just stuck out. And we're doing that because we're trying to protect ourselves. We are human beings and we are part soul, but also part animal. And the animal part wants us to be protected all the time. I had a, a cat that my friend Jerry brought to school when I was in fourth grade and her parents almost ran over it with the car. And so mom said for one night they could have it. And the next morning she brought it to school in a paper box. So cute. And my mom, thank God said, sure, you can bring it home. And so we had this cat, sweetie, for 17 years. He was a huge part of our life. He had so much personality, but there wasn't a day that went by that he didn't hiss or scratch or bite because he spent his first three three weeks on the street, almost getting run over by cars. And so I always think about that because he was always protecting himself so much that he missed out on so many precious moments. You know, we had another captain who helico Persian and she was raised, I think in a cat farm. This is way back when we didn't know how bad it was, guys, don't judge me. Stop the judging. And we took her home. And it was amazing because if you saw their behavior, she was like this spoiled cat who was so sweet, never heard a fly. And she seemed to be more happy all the time. But it's because she was never protecting herself because her first several weeks of life were spent being coddled and, and loved, not on the street. This is all just to say that we have this beauty inside of us and we might not be able to see it fully. But you want to know a secret? Other people can. And if we give people half a chance to see it and we ask them, what do you think I'm good at? What resonates with you about me? And we take the time to listen with both ears and look with both eyes and notice how when we give to people, what lights us up as we give. If you ask somebody, what do you need? What can I give you? How can I help? How can I be of service to you? And you continually do that. And then you actually start giving of your light, of yourself, of your heart. You really can't lose. And the coolest thing is that you'll start to see them. And when you see someone's goodness, someone's beauty, someone's light, someone's sparkle, and someone's talent, and then they start to see yours, there's this wonderful thing that happens. I think it's called intimacy. It took me a long time to learn because, like I said, I was raised in a home where I had so much to give and I never quite felt seen. I felt seen when I performed. I felt seen when I sang in the living room on the glass table. I felt seen when I rode my bike for the first time and when I would once in a blue moon get a really good grade, when I was in plays, when I painted something beautiful. But I always had to show and prove. And I'm sure there's a lot of you shaking your head. Yes, me too, me too. It led to some really bad habits because for years, I thought I was just my performing talent. And that's the only thing that lit people up when I communicated with them. It was the only thing that really lit me up because I really didn't know any other parts of myself. It took so many years of sitting with myself, hugging myself, telling myself, no, you're great just the way you are. You don't have to do anything to earn it. And then eventually when I started to learn how to look with both eyes and hear with both ears in other people's presence and really get to see them and really help them bring out what was beautiful in them. And then I would feel them looking and hearing me. The very first time I went to Shabbat lunch. Okay, so Shabbat is the Sabbath for Jews. It happens Friday evening, sundown to Saturday sundown. If you're friends with the Seventh-day Adventist, they have the same schedule. Friday night, we have a meal all together. And Saturday lunch, we have a meal when you're with your family or your friends or congregants of the same synagogue. 
And I remember there was a time when I first started keeping Shabbat, I was about 24 years old. The first few were amazing. I just didn't want to leave. I was so excited to be in someone's home, having a beautiful meal and hanging out with new friends. And of course, I was like trying to date at the time. And so that was also new. And I was meeting all these good looking Jewish guys and having so much fun singing for people. And that's how I was showing up, the jokester, the impressionist, the singer. And I love doing all those things. But I couldn't stop being on. And then eventually I took this trip to Israel. I was sitting at a table with brand new people in Israel who were way more relaxed than the people in New York City where I first learned about Shabbat. And I was so moved because they were almost like yogis at the table. They ate every bite in sort of a calm nature. There was a lot of silence in a good way. And at first it bothered me, the silence. I'm like, why aren't people talking so much? And why isn't there singing and trying to just make noise and not really listening, but like talking a lot? And I had to excuse myself and I went to the bathroom and I cried. And later that night I called up my rabbi, Rabbi David Aaron, who's going to be on the podcast. He's actually the person who suggested I do the podcast in the first place. And and I called him up and I said, Rabbi, I think there's something wrong with me. I think I actually have a mental disorder and I'm going to go to a psychiatrist. He said, why? And I said, because I'm sitting at these tables and I'm just sobbing and it's not good. I'm like really having a hard time, like just sitting and talking to people. And I mean, I've always been on the go. We never really ate meals all together as a family. And then I was in college and, you know, I've always just kind of rushed through meals. It feels weird to sit at a table for two hours and not sing a song or tell a joke and just like kind of eat and make new friends. It just, it honestly feels really weird and, and there must be something wrong with me. He said, Barb, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, no, you don't understand. I've been excusing myself and going to the bathroom and crying in the bathroom. He said, you're coming home. He said, you never had a meal until now. Now you know what a meal is. A meal is not, you have to pay your way by singing or entertaining someone or tantalizing them with a cool story about how you worked with a famous person once or sharing about how you performed once in front of 3,000 people. And no, that's not your job. He said, your job is just to be there and eat and laugh and cry if you need to and check in with yourself and rest. That's what Shabbat is. Shabbat is actually about you just showing up because the world is actually perfect just the way that it is, even if we can't see it. And then once you start to see the world as perfect just the way it is, but we're here to make it better and yet not on Shabbat. On Shabbat, that's when we rest and we try to take in all the beauty and we don't complain and we don't talk about work. We don't try not to create anything. You know, the other six days, you can try to make the world a little better. That makes sense. You know, let yourself be on Shabbat, at least. I couldn't stop crying on the phone. I knew what he was saying was truth. And I felt so seen and I felt so heard. And I vowed that if I ever saw someone crying on Shabbat, I would tell them the same thing. Yeah. So that rabbi, Rabbi David Aaron, told me, I think you should start a podcast. He suggested it because I've been on a lot of dates. So I've been dating for marriage, specifically for marriage, since I was 24 years old. And now I'm 44. So it's been 20 years of dating for marriage. And one of the things that I've learned in the dating process is that we should never really ever treat someone unfairly or poorly when we date. In fact, I really believe, this is my theory, that dating is a preparation for marriage. 
And it is a great way to learn about the world and how you interact with people really actually affects the world, even if you only see them once on one date. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people and myself on a first date or an only date act like savages. I mean, once I was sitting across the table from somebody who told me in the first minute, oh, I mean, you look really young, but the person who set us up just told me your age and you're two years older than me. And I don't date anyone older than me. I only date women four years younger. So just so you know, this isn't going to go anywhere. I actually said that. I wrote a show about some of the crazy things people told me on the first and only date or maybe the second or third. Someone once told me he was the Messiah. I dated three men who believed that they were gay and they asked me if I would be a beard for them, meaning like I would date them and marry them, but we would have other partners on the side. And of course I was not into that. And most of the time, because I'm me and I've been practicing this since I was two, I really went out of my way to be kind. But of course I had moments that I was like, this is awful. I remember once someone set me up with somebody and they they sent me the one picture that this person has online. It's amazing. You can actually figure out a way sometimes to make sure there's only one picture of yourself online. I don't know how people do that. I have so many because I've been involved with so many public things. But this one guy only had one picture of himself and it was from when he was 32. And now I was told that he was in his early 50s, but he actually was in his 60s. And because I had only seen this one picture of him from, I guess, 30 years prior, I walked into the room and I already knew I was like, you know, probably going outside my comfort zone because I generally only date guys who are 10 years older or up to 10 years younger. I remember being so freaked out because he... He didn't even look like himself. He looked like his dad, you know, like someone who would be his dad. His hair was gone. He was overweight. It just was a completely different person. And I was scared. I wondered if he saw my face and what it looked like. And, you know, I have a very expressive face. I pulled it off pretty well. We still had a wonderful time and I wound up sitting there for an hour and a half. But deep down, I was hurt. I felt very misled because I would never have dated someone that much older than me. I, I haven't been perfect on dates for sure, but I often will remark to my rabbi, hey, you know, uh, dating hasn't been going so well and this is what happened. And by the way, could you call this guy, this guy, and this guy, or can they call you? Some of the guys that I've been out with really needed his help, losing their faith in God. They were losing their faith in humanity for good reason. They Maybe they were in trouble with their taxes. Like They definitely had stuff that they need to talk about. And either through me recommending one of his books or his podcasts or videos on YouTube or actually getting a meeting with him. He helped all of them so far. And he's so good at what he does. He once remarked to me, he said, you know, Barb, I've never had a student because he still calls me a student, which is so nice. I've been a student for 20 years. He always says, I've never had a student who cares more about the people they're not dating a second time than you. It's like you're the mother hen and you don't want to let this person go because you know that they're this like sweet little soul and they need help in the world and you want to help get them there. He's like, it's such a beautiful quality. He's like, you should start a podcast about that, how to date and care about people that you don't really know that well. And I thought, okay, I guess that could be cool. I don't even know if that exists. And here we are. So now you know a little bit more about why I started this. We are going to be interviewing at least one person every episode. That person will be talking about a particular event that happened in their life in which they could have judged the other person or the organization or someone or some party very harshly. And instead they chose 
to look at it a different way or eventually looked at it a different way so that they could forgive. And one of the things that I think you'll see in every episode is that every time there is a conflict that comes to us, a challenge that comes to us, it's for us. It's a gift. And so the first thing we have to do when that person or that challenge comes to us is really thank it and bless it and ask not why did this happen, but what can I do with it? This life as a human being, this renewed life, because we really believe that this is not our first rodeo. We've all been here before. Life is here to teach us to grow. It's not here just to go to Disneyland every day and go on vacation. Vacations are great, but it's actually in the work that we grow. And there's always something for us. And instead of asking, why is this challenge happening? We say, what can I learn from it? And there'd been times where I've had some really difficult things happen to me. And instead of asking, why is this happening? I would say, what can I learn from this? And as soon as I asked the question, I would get some answers. And if you really pay attention and use both eyes and both ears, you'll see more and more and more and more and more the most beautiful soul sitting in front of you and around you and in you. Thank you for joining me. I could cry that this is actually happening. I've had a lot to say for a long time and I've said it all in songs, parodies in my cabaret shows as I play in my little piano recitals as a kid, plays, musicals, skits, sketches on YouTube, Instagram posts, blogs, blogs, documentaries, music videos. This is the place where I'm going to have interviews with people, real souls, and talk to them about what it means to really have freedom in your life. What are some tools we can use to make the world a better place? A lot of people talk about how to make money, how to get ahead, how to be the best, how to not settle. I'm here to talk about how to be a beautiful soul and what does it mean. I hope that you will find great meaning and inspiration, great advice in these pieces. I hope that you will subscribe if you haven't already. And I hope that you'll send these to people that you really think could use a pick-me-up, a heart hug, a smile across their face. That's the whole point of this, to see that we're all connected that we're all just one. And as my grandmother used to say, if you hurt one of my grandchildren, you hurt me. I don't love any of them more or less than the other. One of them hurts, I hurt. She said it in such a Yiddish way. Yiddish always said from the negative or the minor key. Because <laughs> we'd always say, who do you love the most? And she'd say, I have five grandchildren. If Just like my five fingers. She cut one of them, it hurts. All the same. <laughs> She didn't say like, if you hug one of them, it feels the same, you know. Anyway, thanks for joining me. And I look forward to more episodes. Please tell me what you think of this one. This is just the introduction. I feel like I interviewed myself. I'm so grateful to you for tuning in and making me feel special and seen. And I hope that you feel a little more seen and a little more respected and a little more cared for. That is my job here. And if there's some story that you want me to cover one particular area of forgiveness, like forgiving a parent, forgiving a boyfriend, a girlfriend, forgiving a partner, forgiving a business partner. Happy to do those kinds of stories. I think you'll find a lot of the people who speak on this podcast to be very inspiring, whether they tell stories of forgiveness or just give sage advice about how to live 
a life full of freedom. But thank you so much for tuning in. Please join us for our next episode. We are going to be putting out podcasts every Monday. You can find out more at c1beautifulsoul.com. We would love it if you would join our mailing list. We have a questionnaire for you to fill out. Please fill it out and potentially win some prizes and fun swag. You can find out everything you want to know and more about this podcast at c1beautifulsoul.com. So the takeaways from this episode, and some of them are questions for you and what I call grow work, which is grow me work as opposed to homework. They're grow work. They're personal growth exercises that you can do to get to know yourself a little better. So number one, what is it within us or outside ourselves that makes us not assume or look for the best in others? Two, Could we save the planet a whole lot of heartache if in the moment we flipped it from, I can't believe this person did that to me, and instead we said, can I see the beauty in this person standing in front of me, even if I've seen their negative side? Three, it's okay to say, that really hurt. Take time out of your day to take a deep breath and say, hmm, that really hurt. I love you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm here for you. Four, let yourself say, I love you to your little child inside. Five, if we can't take moments to truly love ourselves, then how could we possibly love someone else? It's only through connecting with others that we get to see glimmers of talent and the special light that we give to the world. We can't always see our true full light, but others can. Seven, When you see someone sparkle and they start to see yours, that's true intimacy. Eight, every time there's a challenge that comes to us, it is for sure for us. So thank it and bless it. Nine, don't ask why did this happen. Ask what can I do with this? Ten, life is about the soul's work. It's not just vacay. Eleven, If you really pay attention with both eyes and both ears, you'll see the most beautiful souls. This episode was produced by Katya Soto. If you have a great story about failure, freedom, or forgiveness, please write to us. If you know somebody with a great story, please write to us about that as well. We want to hear from you. If you like what you hear, share the episode. Please subscribe, leave testimonials, leave comments. Your opinions matter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and for sharing these episodes. Please join us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our content at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. May we all choose to look for and see the light that lives in all of us in all ways, always.